When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Friends of the Rockin' Cast, I'm on a walk with my dogs, Percy and Ray, and for this cast, we're going to explore the power of habit. You know, those little behaviors that you engage in, both good and bad, every day that have a huge impact in your life. And our focus today is primarily going to be on two incredible books, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, as well as Atomic Habits by James Clear. Both cover a lot of topics, but Duhigg primarily covers the why question, why habits are so important. And I think Clear does a better job of explaining how we implement good habits and eliminate bad habits from our life. And from my own perspective, I'm gonna give you a set of tools to evaluate in your own life, the good habits from the bad habits and how to implement them. And finally, we're going to discuss Weston Noble, one of the world-renowned choir directors who recently passed away. Uh, He was a choir director at Luther College, my alma mater, for almost 50 years. And I was able to personally observe how he effectively used good habits to basically create one of the most world-renowned choral programs in the United States. So stay tuned. We're going to have a fun exploration of the power of habits. And if you stay till the end of the episode, you're going to get a little lanyap, which is a little, little something extra, a word that I recently used, with my discarded intro that I thought was a little bit much. It didn't quite work, but you're going to enjoy it. It was an intro with some music by Corey Grimm, as well as the full song by Corey Grimm. So stay tuned. You'll get a little extra at the end and your world is going to be transformed by the power of habit. So first, let's get started and discuss, first of all, what a habit is, why it's important, and why you're actually going to find this to be a surprisingly interesting topic, because it doesn't seem like so much so at first blush. First of all, what is a habit? A habit is a behavior that you repeatedly engage in that has an impact on your life. The next step is to define what makes a good habit and what makes a bad habit. A good habit is a behavior that has a positive impact on your financial, emotional, or physical well-being. A bad habit has a negative impact on your financial, physical, or emotional well-being. And now you're probably thinking, so what? Well, this turns out to be a surprisingly important topic because I don't think you can make any positive change in your life without thoroughly examining your habits. And what I'm going to do is to try to offer you some very specific techniques to help you inventory your own habits, both good and bad, and to try to offer you some suggestions on those habits that will improve all three, your physical, 
your financial as well as your emotional well-being. These are habits that I call stacking function habits, where you do one thing and you achieve multiple positive outcomes. And we'll also try to identify those negative habits that achieve the reverse, a reduction in your physical, financial, and emotional well-being. So first, let's borrow a concept from an agricultural system called permaculture. Permaculture is a system of ecosystem design in which food systems are designed to mimic nature. Permaculture designers have a concept called stacking functions. Stacking functions is when you do one thing and it achieves multiple positive outcomes. So for example, in a permaculture system, if you have a fruit tree that's planted near a river, what positive things do you achieve with this? You essentially are stacking functions. First, you have a fruit bearing tree like an apple tree. So the first thing that you're going to have is food for you, which is going to increase your own well-being as well as your financial well-being because you won't have to pay for apples. Secondly, you'll provide a pollinating system for bees, so you're increasing nature. Third, you are adding root systems to the riverbank, so you are preventing erosion. Four, you are providing shade so that people can enjoy shade in a hot area. Five, you are increasing recreational opportunities if you have an apple orchard to allow people to go and get exercise as they experience nature. Six, when people go to the apple orchard to experience nature, they are getting exercise, which is helping them lose weight. When they lose weight, they increase their emotional well-being. When they feel good, they decide to work more, so they make more money. Seven, you provide a unique opportunity for all sorts of other industries to grow up. People that make hard cider. People that then want to come here at the end of a long bike ride so they can have a fun hard cider after a long bike ride, which in turn is making it into sort of a tourist area. People are drawn to it so they can go to the apple orchard and take their bike. And then you got to have entertainment. And so you then have a band that comes and plays and you pr promote artists. So you get the concept. One thing, planting a tree, accomplishes 10 positive outcomes. What's not to like about that? So when you think of negative habits or positive habits, you try to use that same framework, which is stacking functions. Is there one thing that you can do that will positively impact your life or one thing that you can do that will take away those negative things out of your life. So let me give you one very concrete illustration from my own life of about seven years ago. One bad habit that I got into, which, which was drinking wine. Now that doesn't seem like that big a habit, right? You watch your Netflix, you buy a box of wine, you have a very pleasant feeling, then you go to bed. Doesn't seem that bad. But let's break that down in terms of a framework for assessing a good habit or a bad habit. So let's use it through that lens. A bad habit reduces 
your financial, emotional, or physical well-being. So with wine, if you drink a bottle of wine a night, you are making a financial commitment of 8 to $10 an evening with a reasonably priced wine. $8 over the course of a year is a significant amount of money. We're essentially talking about if you have a daily $8 a bottle wine habit and you're talking 365 days a year, you are talking about a financial yearly habit of $3,600 per year. It gets worse. If you, instead of drinking wine, which has very little health benefit, you invest that $3,600 a year at 5%, which is not that high of a yield. Over the course of 30 years, you're talking about a quarter of a million dollars just on that one thing. But it gets worse. Let's talk about some of the other side effects of alcohol. Alcohol also is an appetite stimulant. So when I was drinking more wine in the evening, you, you watch a little Netflix, you're hungry more often. And it's an unnatural hunger because it's of all that sugar you're getting in the alcohol and the wine, right? So you eat more. And so what happens when you eat more? You gain weight because you tend to eat. Not only are you eating more, but you're eating before you go to bed. Plus, you're loading yourself up on sugar. It's like basically drinking pop every night. When you gain weight, what happens? Do you feel good when you get a little tubby? When you see a picture of yourself and you see a little extra chub in the cheek? No, you feel awful. Well, what happens when you don't feel very good? You drink because you try to forget. What happens when you drink too much? You don't sleep as well. When you don't sleep as well, what happens? You're not as productive the next day at work. What happens when you're not as productive the next day at work? You don't make as much money. When you don't make as much money, what happens? You feel stress. When you feel stress, what do you tend to do? You can eat more or you can drink more. So this is just one habit, drinking wine, that through the lens of a negative financial out impact has a very significant negative financial impact. Two, it affects you negatively emotionally. You don't sleep as well. You're not as productive as work. You're more stressed out. And when you're more stressed out, you're not as an effective employee either for someone else or if you're a small business owner, you're not as effective at work. And when you don't feel as good about yourself, how are you as a spouse or a friend? You're probably not as effective a friend or spouse either. So you have this one thing, and I call these, these are like negative keystone habits. These are negative cascades where it's only one thing that negatively affects so many other things. And here's the other thing. Usually the positive habits are free. So let's take the wine drinking in reverse. So instead of paying 5 to $10 a night, all of a sudden you're doing something that's free. You're saving 5 to $10. When you don't drink as much wine, what happens? You feel better. You don't have that sort of slight hangover. When you don't have that slight hangover, what happens? You get up early. 
Well, when you get up early, you have extra time. You can do stuff like meditate. You can exercise. When, when you exercise, what happens? You transform your body. You lower body fat. You increase your stamina. When you increase your stamina, what happens? You feel good. You then go to work. You then are more productive at work. People like what you do. They say, hey, good job. They reinforce what the habits that you've been making have made a positive influence. You lose weight. You lose weight and you even feel better about yourself. So this is a habit that takes literally nothing. And most good habits, the good news about good habits is they're almost always free. So let's talk about a good habit that you can implement right now that's going to increase your financial, physical, and emotional well-being. You can start going on a daily walk. As far as I can tell, walking is free. You can walk anywhere. And so that's something that you can begin today. You can go on a 30-minute walk. And what will you achieve when you do that? First of all, you will be able to unplug from social media. So you're going to feel good. Second, you're going to get some exercise. And then you're going to start losing weight. And then when you start losing weight, you're going to feel good about yourself. And then when you start feeling good about yourself, you're going to think about, well, what are those other things that I can do that are going to positively impact my life? And you're going to start looking for those. Maybe you can start a reading, a daily reading habit. Maybe you can look at other aspects of your life where you can positively impact your life. And you're going to start figuring out, well, gosh, all life is is a function of the daily little routines and decisions that we make that aggregate over time. But let's take it even a step further with this simple thing called walking. Let's build it in and and stack functions with that one habit. Let's assume you have a pet. Well, your dog needs to exercise. So maybe you should take your dog out for a walk. So you're adding another function. You're doing a job that you need to do, which is to make sure your dog gets exercise. So then your spouse is really happy because you're actually helping out your spouse to get more things done, to help around the house. And then from there, you can invite your spouse or your your child out for a walk with you. So not only are you walking your dog, not only are you getting exercise, not only are you increasing your well-being, but you're having family time together. And this is totally free. But take it a step further. You can also go to a beautiful place like Hickory Hill Park if you're in Iowa City and you can experience incredible amounts of nature that will then give an endowment to your child into the future that wherever they are, wherever they go, they will know that they can have a daily habit of walking and they can also learn about all the wildflowers so you can build in biological lessons to your nature walks. So this one thing is building your financial well-being, your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, your familiar well-being. It's just like planting an apple tree. So think about those things in your life. What are those little things that you do that are like that apple tree that that stack multiple positive things into your life? And what are those negative things that 
negatively impact your life in a number of different ways. You know, the other most obvious example is smoking. Fortunately, I've never been a smoker. But think about all of the reverse negative stacking functions with smoking. You get a little buzz. Well, that's a positive. But then you also increase your risk of lung cancer by like 2,000%. You age your skin prematurely. You have an expensive habit, which is probably going to cost you, if you're a pack-a-day smoker, at least 6 bucks a day. A couple packs, that's $12 a day. You are lowering your energy because you're literally putting poison into your body. From there, you're then making the, your house smell, which is a real social turnoff. It's then harder for you to have friends because who wants to hang around someone that smells like smoke all of the time? You're distracted at work because you're always trying to get to your cigarette break. You're not as productive. When you're not as productive, your boss doesn't like you as much. So you just you really need to think about that because these negative habits really do normally hit not only negatively one aspect, but a lot of different aspects. So as you think about this inventory of your own good habits and bad habits, ask yourself, which of my habits are like the apple tree? the one thing that accomplishes 10 positive things. And which habits are like cigarette smoking, the one negative habit that negatively impacts your life in a variety of different ways. And some of them are in between. I mean, so for example, if you're gonna use this sort of techniques, think about your own social media use. Does it increase your financial well-being? No, it doesn't. Does it increase your physical well-being? No, it doesn't. Does it increase your emotional well-being? Well, here's probably a maybe. It really is going to depend. I think you're going to be able to answer that for yourself. For a lot of people, it negatively affects them. So how do we then decide? Is that a good habit or a bad habit? Well, that's one of these ones that's a little bit more marginal. It depends upon the individual person. So if you think that you're using social media too much, there's two specific techniques that James Clear identifies in Atomic Habit, which are super simple, but have a huge impact. So if you're looking at your cell phone too much, checking your iPhone to get the update from Facebook, he suggests something very simple. Put your cell phone in the other room. Increase the cost and the time it takes to pick up your phone so you then you're less distracted. The second simple solution is to remove the Facebook app from your smartphone so you don't have that immediate temptation to spend all this time. And think about with social media use. Each time you look at it, it's just a little bit of time, but it aggregates throughout the day. So here's why I like James Clear book on atomic habits. These are probably the two biggest books on habits. Um, there's the famous book, Seven Habits of Effective People, which of course is a hugely successful business book, but that's really something else. This is really talking about the different daily routines that you do, both with the Duhigg as well as the Clear book. And I think Clear's book is even better because he's really focusing in on how you actually do it. Because most changes, if it were easy, everyone would do it. So he's very good at helping you to understand how you can break these big behavioral issues that you have in your life and how you break them down into very, very small pieces to have this aggregate positive outcome over time. So I'll use one very specific example in my own life that has been very transformative for me. 
about two months ago, I began doing push-ups. Push-ups are free. Anyone can do it. You don't need any workout book. You don't need any gym or equipment. You just literally start doing push-ups. When I first started doing them, I only could do two. But Clear says there's nothing better than just getting started. Start your habit and start slowly. So if you want to become in better shape, don't worry the fact that you can't do 50. I was on this 30-day program and they said, oh, well, you can do 50 push-ups. Well, the first day I only did two. But his thing is, is get started and start small. Because over time, you'll increase. So that's the main roadblock that a lot of times people have is they don't see that immediate outcome. But they don't even, then they don't even get started. So with push-ups, I started doing two push-ups a day. And then afterwards, I started gradually increasing and getting stronger. Which would then increase my confidence, which then allowed me to do five push-ups. And so over time, in the course of 60 days, now I can do 20 push-ups. I still can't do the 50, but that then makes me think, what are all those other little things that I do in my life that if I just break it down into little tiny pieces, I can have a huge impact So the other things that I've done in the last couple years are some good financial habits. So with financial habits, a lot of times we think about how much money we don't have, but we don't think about those little things that we do every day that really make a big impact on ourselves financially. So one very specific example, financial investing. A lot of people don't invest because they don't think they have enough money. They think, I don't have an extra 300 bucks a month. Well, let me offer you a little trick And it's totally a trick. It's irrational. But it nevertheless is something that is very, very effective because I think it most matches what we do cognitively. So, for example, right now I want to ask yourself, do you have $5? Do you? Right now. Some of you maybe don't. If if you don't, that's okay. But I bet most of you have at least $5 right now. If so, you can start investing in stocks. There's an app called Stash, which allows you to make micro-investments in stocks. And two years ago, I came across it because my sister had recommended it. I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a try. And it allows you to make investments in the stock market, conservative, aggressive, individual stocks, mutual funds, with no broker, just through Stash function. But what's great about it? You can invest in any amount. It used to have a $5 minimum. Now you can invest $2. So it's incredible because if right now you have $5, you can start investing in stocks. And most days you got five bucks on you. Yeah, you do. And so over time, I would get bored. I thought, what the heck? I'm going to invest in stash. Then I'm going to start doing this on a daily basis because most of the time you got five bucks on you. And then sometimes you get a little extra money and think, what the heck, I'm just going to invest 20 bucks in stash. Instead of going out to eat, I'm going to do 20 bucks in stash. Well, lo and behold, I started that two years ago, and I'm up to about $25,000 in one account. And it's one of those things that if you were to ask me on just one social media account or one app that I could get 25000 bucks, no, I wouldn't have thought that. But it is just like magic. If you have these big, huge problems and you break it down into little pieces, if you want to write the great American novel, what's your most important thing is to write the first paragraph. 
clear gets into this because a lot of times what happens is, is we have these huge projects that are just overwhelming so then we don't get started so he basically says start easy and get that routine get that habit going down so if you want to be the great american writer start writing one paragraph a day and just do that that's your only goal and then once you start doing that, well, then you get started and it becomes easier and easier and easier. The other law of habits is, is that once you get started, you tend to get more stamina. You tend to get more resilience. You build it into your life. The other nice thing about a good, firmly ingrained habit is that it becomes automatic. You feel uncomfortable when you don't do it. So I've used this financial technique, not only with investments, but with my mortgage. Go to your mortgage website right now, get signed up, and then make electronic payments. You can use this same micropayment technique to lower your mortgage, which I've done with my mortgage. And in the course of three years, I've lowered my mortgage almost $40,000, whereas if we had made the minimum payment, we would have only had 12000 paid during that same period of time. And it's just only through the magic of just micropayments. Well, these are also things you can do in all other aspects of your life with your diet. Within the last three months, I've started something called intermediate fasting. It's a new habit that I have that now is a routine that I do automatic. What is intermediate fasting? It just says that human beings were evolved for food scarcity. We were not evolved to eat throughout the day. And that our biological systems are really not designed for this huge surges of insulin that, that occurs through frequent eating throughout the day. So it advises the following. Eat for only eight hours a day, three times. That's it. And 16 hours, limit it yourself to liquid. You can have coffee, but nothing else. No sugars, no other food. So it is very also an effective habit. And most importantly, it's simple. It has no other rules. It has no other uh, types of foods you have to eat. You don't have to count calories at all. You just got to follow one simple rule. For 16 hours a day, you can't eat. Now that sounds like, oh, that's going to be really hard. But you think about it, it's not. Just eat your last meal at 6 or 7 o'clock, and then 16 hours later, you can eat your next meal, which if you start at 6 o'clock, your next meal will be at 10 o'clock. Simple. You would basically just have to cut off one meal, and you think, oh, I can't do that. Well, get started. Try it. That's the other law of habits. There's, never, there's no time like the present to get started. Because once you get started, something magic happens. One, it becomes a lot easier than you think. Two, your body adapts. Three, over time you start feeling a lot better because you don't have all this food flowing through you early in the morning to make you groggy. Four, after a while the weight starts coming off. And so I've done this now for about three months and I've lost about 30 pounds. It's the simplest diet in the world and all it is is a habit. And now it's been effectively incorporated as a routine into my life. Remember what a routine is. A routine is a series of habit over time. The better routine is the automatic routine where it is, becomes essentially a system where you don't even have to think about it. So I don't even think about my habit now because it's built into the day-to-day -day things that I do every single day. 
And so that's why clear is so important. I think if you have to pick in terms of timing what you want to read, I think Charles Duhigg's book is more entertaining, The Power of Habit. I think it's probably a little better written. James Clear book is a very interesting book, but it is much more how-to. And I think the important thing here is, is that there's no time like the present to get started. So what are some other habits? Now, I don't, I don't want you to be defeatist and say like, oh, well, habits, you know, they're expensive. All the good ones, as I've said, are free. Meditation. Right now, you can find and start meditating for five minutes a day. And if you can't do it by yourself, and what do you need to meditate? You just need you. And most meditation, all it requires is, is a quiet place where you can sit still and you can breathe deeply. If you need some help with the course of an app, you can get the Spectrum app, which is a free download. And there's all sorts of free meditations that you can do on confidence building, anxiety reduction, focus and productivity. That is something you can begin right now. But in addition to meditating, what is another really good habit? How about this one? Getting to bed before 10 o'clock. This is free. Get eight hours of sleep. Sleep is the best medicine ever. And if you go to bed at 10, you'll be able to get up early. What's your most productive time? Early in the morning. And when you have that extra time, what will you do? You'll exercise. That is free. In fact, I'm almost not able to think of one good habit that really costs significant amounts of money. So let's summarize where we've been so far. First of all, we've defined what is a good habit, what's a bad habit. We've demonstrated how to think about what a stacking functions habit is. Third, we've learned how to make big, huge problems in our life and to break them down into little, simple pieces. Four, we've learned how to make them into a daily routine. And five, we've learned about a good habit is one that ultimately we develop that becomes automatic, that essentially does the work for us. And then six, we've learned how to then identify these feedback loops that will then help us assess how effectively we're doing this habit. So that's the thing with Clear's book. You got to start reading that now because if you implement them, I almost guarantee you you will increase your physical, your financial, or your emotional well-being because you just need to get started. And almost everything that you do in your life depends upon changing your, your habits, your routines, and developing systems that then is essentially the apex of all of those different things. So let's talk a little bit about the Charles Duhigg book, The Power of Habit. This is a very, it is a very good book. It's not as much a how-to it's not as clear in terms of instructions as to what you need to do. It gets more into the, the psychology of habits, the importance of habits for organizations. And he most clearly identifies something called a keystone habit. That is a linchpin habit that if you do that one thing very well, will likely radiate throughout everything else. So I do strongly recommend Charles Duhigg's book. And I think clearly influenced clear to get really thinking about this um, book. But Duhigg introduces uh, essentially a very boring company called Alcoa and Paul O'Neill, who seems like a very boring person. He was the CEO of Alcoa. And he provides this vignette of how O'Neill transformed this underperforming corporation into one of the most powerful, financially profitable 
businesses in the United States. And he did it through the power of habit. And he introduced this concept called Keystone Habit. The first time O'Neill was selected, and, and O'Neill had very little experience as a CEO. He was basically a government bureaucrat who worked for the federal government for several years and through that process learned how to break down large amounts of data into small different pieces. So when he was hired by Alcoa to be the uh, CEO in the mid-80s, all the shareholders were gathered and he was introduced by the board to the shareholders. And the first thing that he did, normally you think a CEO would talk about their financial performance, how they're going to make more money for the shareholders. But the very first thing that he did is he said, we are going to reduce fatalities and injuries to near zero at Alcoa. And a lot of people were thinking, uh, what the hell does this have to do with profitability? Like, where's your focus here? And he said, if you don't like this, sell your shares of stock. So not only did he not make any promises about how he's going to increase shareholder value, I mean, he freaked him out because he was like, well, then sell. Because we're going to focus in on this one thing, reducing injuries to workers. So let's break that down and think about what happened. And this is what Duhigg very effectively illustrates. Is to think about what are the most immediate benefits when you start reducing injuries and deaths? Well, the first thing is, is obviously you promote worker well-being. That individual worker knows that you care about them. Second, you're not going to have to pay out workers' compensation to the degree that you had before. It's very expensive. When one worker gets hurt, not only are they lost, but you have to pay all the workers' compensation premiums for that worker. Third, someone has to then be retrained to replace that worker. If it's a fatality or a serious injury, someone has to cover because that worker was doing an essential job. Third, in order to actually reduce those injuries, what do you have to do? You have to have attention to detail. And that attention to detail means that the workers who are identifying safety problems have to be able to communicate to their bosses. And the bosses learn have to learn how to effectively communicate down to their workers. And the ones that do it well then have to be able to teach other organizations within the entity how to effectively reduce worker injuries. And then what else happens once you then reduce the injuries? You start thinking about, well, how do we develop effective systems to reduce these things? You develop vertical communication and horizontal communication. So once those systems are in place, well, in addition to communicating safety protocols, what do you also develop? You then think about how else you can improve things. You get communication flows from workers up and from managers to managers. So all of a sudden, Alcoa had workers that were really communicating with their managers very well because not only were they communicating about safety, but they were communicating how they could do things more effectively. But when they did things more effectively, what happened? They became more productive. And when they became more productive, they're, they're obviously, they made more stuff. And when they had more stuff, they were able to sell more. And because they had these good systems in place, what does an effective system require? It requires accountability. Where when you have accountability as to safety, don't you think you also have accountability as to productivity? And in order to be able to measure these things, you have to have good measurement systems in place. Well, the same things that help you measure worker safety are also good things to measure your financial productivity. 
So Duhigg identifies this as a keystone habit. O'Neill took one thing, worker safety, and used it as something to transform the entire organization. And I think that is something that we don't think about enough. That gets back into, it's really another way of saying stacking functions. That one thing, worker safety, permeated the organization. And by the time he was done, Alcoa became one of the most profitable businesses in the United States. So that's just one of the examples that Duhigg explores. Clear identifies, in sort of another context, uh, cycling of all things, competitive cycling. Now, one would think, well, what the hell does that have to do with habits? As he brought up the English cycling team. So they were thinking about what's the difference between an average team and a great team? What Clear says is, is the aggregation of small gains. So in the mid-80s, British cycling was nothing, according to Clear. But there was someone that came and said, wow, the coach for this British cycling team was like, you know what? What if we would think about everything that we do, that even if it's a small gain and we aggregate it over the entire team, it will have a huge impact? Well, they started thinking about nutrition. Well, what is the impact of nutrition? Well, obviously, you feel better, you train harder, you can get more done. They started thinking about training, how systematized where they were in the training that they did. Third, they looked at teamwork. How effectively was the cycling organization working as a team? And all these little things in aggregate made a huge difference. So this British cycling team essentially went from a mediocre organization to an outstanding organization. And that the book is just full with examples like that. So, for example, what are the habits that Michael Phelps uses to become one of the world-class swimmers? Nearly anyone, take it to the bank, that has developed a world-class system has a clear set of daily habits that are built into routines, that are built into systems that are automatic. And then once you have these systems and structures in place, the nice thing about it is, is you don't need to think about them. You can think about the higher order thing because those things are already taken care of. So let's also use an example from my own life in terms of a very effective person that I believe not only transformed the coral industry, but also had a measurable impact on my alma mater, Luther College, and his name was Weston Noble. Now, for those of you who don't know, Weston Noble was born in the small little town of Riceville, Iowa, and he came to Luther College in the late 40s after doing a tour in World War II. Uh, He had previously served as a tank commander during World War II, and he had previously attended Luther College as a student. Weston Noble had some incredibly effective habits. Let me introduce a couple of the things that I was able to directly observe in terms of things that he did that, that had a huge impact throughout the course of the year. One of the things that he intuitively understood is this question of the aggregation of small time increments. So Weston always had the hour choir rehearsal. We'd rehearse once a day, we'd have one hour. And he broke it down into little pieces. And we'd work on various parts of the music. But one thing that really struck me is that as we get close to the end of the rehearsal, let's say it was 525, Now, a lot of choral directors or some professors sometimes aren't as effective. They'd say, oh, well, you know what? We're pretty much done, so we only have five minutes left. All right, you can go, and we'll see you next time. 
Weston never did that. Weston always rehearsed through 5.30 because in his view, five minutes is five minutes. It doesn't sound like very much, but he was in the habit of always using the full hour. So we would a lot of times start a new song or a new piece in that last five minutes. Now think about over the course of a year though, that five minutes really does add up. If you're talking about if you have essentially 100 choir rehearsals for both semesters, 100 choir rehearsals times five minutes is 500 minutes, which is eight hours of rehearsal time over the course of a semester. Or if you're looking at over the course of a full year, 16 hours worth of rehearsal time. So think about that. That is just literally pulling time out of nowhere. Someone who's not effective is going to lose that 16 hours. Do you think 16 hours over the course of a year is going to make the difference? Absolutely. He understood intuitively the aggregation of small gains. Little things that add up over time. The other thing that he developed was something called Dorian, the summer musical camp. And then he would also invite select high schools to Luther College to perform. So let's talk about that summer camp. The summer camp was done during the uh, summer at Luther, obviously, and it was a music camp for junior high as well as high school kids, and it was usually done, for, it still actually is going on. But think about how effective that was as a camp. First of all, it's a job opportunity and a learning opportunity for college students that were the counselors for the camp. Secondly, it kept the faculty employed during the summer um, so that they could have a little extra spending money uh, to teach the students. Thirdly, it was a great recruiting opportunity. Every single one of those kids that was on campus got exposed to Luther College for a week where they could actually experience what it was like to be an almost a mini college student. Fourth, it increased community well-being where people learned music and kids learned good musical skills where they learned their good routines. Five, the kids had a lot of fun and loved to learn music and gained a lifelong appreciation for it. And six, they got to know Weston Noble and be even more attracted to saying, hey, I'd love to come and sing with Weston someday. So that one thing, the financial, the Dorian Musical Camp had all of those positive impacts and was really essential. So we did that during the summer. And during the year, he would do select Dorian concerts where he would invite high school groups in. And they were, of course, thrilled that they got to come. So it was like a festival. It allowed him to get to know all the choir directors who in turn then had a relationship with Weston Noble who would love then to then refer his their students and act essentially as recruiting agents for Luther College off payroll. Think about how many high school uh, choral directors said go to Luther College and they weren't even employed by Luther all because they had the quote-unquote honor of coming to the select um, Dorian music camps. That is how he was able to recruit so many different people. But let me just share one additional thing that he did that I thought was just very effective. Weston knew how to use time. So when we would go on our yearly tours, he would actually never waste a minute. He was always being productive with his time. And that's another thing that people that effectively use habits do is they take advantage of these little time increments. Now, when we would go on these long bus rides, you know, Nordic choir members, we would play cards and joke around and laugh and have a good time, but not Weston. What, was, what, what would you do if you had all this time on the bus? Well, Weston would do handwritten recruiting postcards where he would write to individual people on his mailing list, 
postcards from places the choir was doing. So can you imagine being a high school kid in Anoka, Minnesota, or Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or Decorah, Iowa, and you got an individualized card from Weston Noble about a tour that they were on in Oregon and San Diego, and he always wrote these beautifully handwritten notes. Think about the impact that had on recruiting. So Weston did it as a way to focus, to stay productive. It was something where he wasn't doing anything else on the bus at that time, but it would allow individual connection with an individual student. It also helped him remember the names of the individual students when they would get to campus. He'd always refer to you, not by your name, but usually where you were from. So he would say Decorah or Riceville. Well, how did he have that amazing memory? Well, he, had a, he was a smart guy, but it's because he's writing all those postcards. He had muscle memory of where people were from. But I think the final thing with Weston Noble that I absolutely loved is he had the habit, and I think it is a habit, he had the habit of a positive attitude. I think we can will ourselves in a negative or positive mindsets. And he strongly believed in really the power of positive thinking and that positive energy. And that came out in the music, that people were attracted to him because when you would spend time with Weston, you felt positive, spiritual, and emotional well-being, which is really the core of any effective organizations. And those are just three little examples of the things that he would do that would really build up over time. I guess the final habit that I, that I observed that he would do, Weston Noble would pick up garbage. So he was on Luther College campus. So you think about that. What does that do? That shows everyone that works at Luther College that no matter where you are, you're not big enough or you're not a big enough deal that you can't help do the most menial task. So it made everyone feel like, hey, we're all in it together. If Weston does it, guess what? We'll mimic those habits and we'll do our own equivalent to picking up litter. We'll do those little things that over time can make a huge impact. And that, friends, is, is one example of how he was able to take an ordinary little college in Iowa and transform it into really one of the most special places in the in the upper Midwest. You know, there's other colleges that maybe have a little bit better academic reputation. Luther is very solid. I'm very proud to have graduated from there. But I think what really makes it stand out is it's a magical, spiritual place where people feel community and that they belong. And that didn't just happen. It happened because of powerful people like Weston Noble that engaged in the daily practice of habits. So there it is, friends, the conclusion of my episode eight, Rockney Cast. I hope you had as much fun as I did. I'm actually walking back from my recording site, which was at the top of a hill on Hickory Hill Park, doing another little habit of a nice forest walk, which I strongly encourage you all to do. It's free. It's restorative. It is one of those keystone habits that I think you should all incorporate into your lives. And I'm all going to give you a little bit of a lanyap, which is a little bit of some extra word that I just learned this past week. I'm going to give you the intro that I didn't use. As many of you know, I have a very talented brother-in-law, Corey Grimm, and he provided a really awesome song that I was going to try to incorporate in my opening to The Power of Habit. It didn't quite work. I wasn't really feeling it. It is sort of funny. So my suffering is going to be for your gain and my intro that I did not use, but part of it worked, but we'll see. We're still experimenting here on the Rockney cast, little by little, and you can have a little fun at my expense. 
So here's my alternative intro to the power of habit that I did not use. And as a bonus, I'm also going to give you the full song by Corey Grimm, one of the most talented singer-songwriters in the state of Iowa. Thanks for joining me on the RockneyCast. Until next time, thanks for listening in. Friends of the RockneyCast, we got a great show in store for you today. It's on habits. Habits? Yeah, we're talking about habits. You know, the little things that you do that are going to change your world. You see, friends, if you really want to make change in your life, you've got to change your habits. So we're going to talk about good habits and bad habits. important authors on this topic. One's name is Charles Duhigg, and he wrote an awesome book called The Power of Habit. The other is James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. The things that you do are going to rock your world. We're not only going to talk about books, we're also going to talk and explore how a small-town choir director in the Northeast Island, a guy named Weston Logan, built one of the leading choir programs in the world in the Northeast Island town. You know how we did it? Did it on habits. You see, friends, before my rocket cast, I was in the Nordic Choir for two years. I learned those little things that Weston did every day to transform choir in the middle of Iowa into a world-class institution. I'll show you how he did it. But finally, I'm going to get personal. I'm going to talk about some good habits of mine and some bad habits that I've overcome. I'm going to share those with you so that you can learn from what I've done. And to top it off, we're going to listen to another new release by Corey Graham, one of the leading singer-songwriters in the state of Iowa, and my brother Love you, Corey. Can't wait to see you at the next reunion. We're going to eat some badass casserole together. So friends, stick with us through the end of the show, and your world is going to be changed. Because we're not only going to talk about habits, I want to offer you a few habits that you can start implementing right away. Just stay tuned on our show on habits. And now we'll conclude the Rockney cast with We'll Finally Be Kings by Corey Grimm, my brother-in-law and one of the best singer-songwriters in the state of Iowa. Until next time on the Rockney cast.